0: Oh, it's a little dark in here. Uh, all right, well, welcome. My name's Alex. Uh, I'm not a pastor here. I'm filling in for Brandon, giving me a little bit of a break for the holidays. Um, yeah, welcome if you're new with us. Today... Um, Today we're gonna to do something a little bit different. Um, guess that's usual with me, so so it's normal now. Um, I just want to talk about a topic that that has just been on my heart recently for this church specifically. I think I want to just talk directly to you guys. You guys all know me. I know you. We've been here together doing this every week um, for many years. And um, I just have a heart to remind us of the sanctity of worship, the holiness of worship. It's what we do, what we want to do with our whole lives, right? And just from the bottom of my heart, I think there are ways we can miss it. We can miss the sanctity and the holiness of worship, specifically us as a church, and just in general, our kind of, expression of Christianity, kind of evangelical, non-denominational Christianity. There are ways we can miss out on the sanctity and the holiness of worshiping God, and I want to call attention to that. And I just want to remind us as I say this, I'm not here to criticize or condemn our church or the evangelical movement. You know, every movement, every kind of flavor of Christianity has its own strengths and weaknesses. I just want to call our attention to some of our weaknesses, maybe, so that we can grow. That we can worship God in a better way, so let me just pray here, ask that you to be praying for me as well. Pray that the Holy Spirit would just speak through me and instruct His church that any words that are just from my flesh would um not be said. <laughs> Lord God, we just worship you this morning. We worship you by submitting to you by following you with our lives. We worship you in simplicity of heart, my God, as we sang, In simplicity of heart, longing for the purity to know you better, to be more like you. Pray that you would instruct our hearts this morning. Instruct us as we learn about you, we learn to follow you better. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. All right, very simple question. I want to start with, why are we here? Why do you get out of bed every Sunday morning and come here? I think think we all know the right answer. I think the right answer is to worship God. We want to worship God with all that we are, heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I think we can forget that sometimes. I think we can lose sight of that. And I just want to remind us, and call us back to the goal of why we're here. We worship him through our singing, right? Through our, with our minds, by conforming our minds to what his word says, right? Those are all ways we worship God. But I think sometimes, Secondary goals can take priority here on Sunday morning. Secondary goals, you know, um, caring for one another, socializing, right? That can take priority. Sometimes even evangelism, caring about what others, outsiders think, whether they're, you know, understanding what's being said and engaging with, with God or newcomers that maybe are already Christian, caring about what they think about this church and this or that, right? Those things can detract from our worship of God. And I just want to call our attention to that and just call us back to first and foremost, our heart being to worship God on Sunday mornings, heart, soul, mind, and strength. I had two images in my mind of what worship on Sunday can look like. and They're kind of, I want to draw a contrast here. I was asking myself a question recently. What would our church do if we were given $20 million? What would we do with $20 million? That's that's one idea, right? I think that's, that's song. This is one thing you can do with $20 million, right? Stage, lights, amazing sound system. I'm sure it's amazing to worship there. I don't want to condemn anyone here. But You know, I I think there's a missed opportunity here. This communicates something, right? This communicates something to the people who come. What does this communicate? What does this communicate about what who God is? About what church is about? What this looks like culturally is a concert, right? A concert followed by a TED Talk. Who is a concert for? For you, the audience. Who is a TED Talk for? For you, the audience. Right? This communicates, even, and there are amazing messages I've heard from stages like this, amazing worship sets, great theology, but, but this itself communicates something. And I think it communicates that church is about you giving you a certain spiritual experience, educating, informing, entertaining you, right? All right, here's another idea of how to spend $20 million. It's very different, right? Here's another one. This is the Lutheran Church Cathedral. What does that communicate? Maybe legalism, yeah. There's dangers on the other side, right? Right? I want to be honest about that. But I do think it communicates at its best that God is high and holy. There's depictions of the saints and the angels worshiping God, right? That when we are stepping into church, we are stepping into the heavenly realms and we are worshiping God together with the saints and the angels, right? That there are cherubims surrounding him falling down on their faces saying, holy, holy, holy. Holy. Round the clock, right? That's the God we worship. And at the center, what's the center focus? It's not the pastor, it's not the band. It's Christ crucified, right? Reminding us of what the center of what we do is. That's the center. And yeah, again, I... I appreciate the call-out of legalism. There's There are weaknesses to this too. There are weaknesses to this expression of Christianity. These guys are the more traditional. Christians have their strengths and weaknesses. I don't want to pretend like that's not the case, but I just want to highlight, just want to highlight something that I think we can fall into. We communicate the church is for the audience, not for God. I think we can prioritize that newcomers feel comfortable, that newcomers feel welcome and accepted, rather than prioritizing that God is honored. I think there's a serious consequence to that. I think when you make church, when you communicate, look, this is a concert, this is entertaining, this is educational. When you communicate that that's what Christianity is about, you'll get people in the door, but it'll be a very shallow Christianity. The moment things are hard, the moment you have to ask someone to take up their cross, to suffer for Christ, to suffer by saying no to sin, you know, it's not Christianity is not going to be as appealing right? Christianity is not going to be, I don't know, if your motivation is to come because it, church gives you a certain experience, church makes you feel a certain way, then you're not going to be able to respond to God's call to count the cost. Yeah, the mentality can sometimes be get people in the door versus count the cost. And again, not that our church does this, but I, I think it can be a temptation. I think I just want to call us out, call this out so that we are on our guard against it. Getting people in the door. I think of Jesus. What did he do? How did he reach out to people? He reached out to people in a way that was understandable. He did. He came down to the lowest of the low, to the prostitutes, to the tax collectors, and he communicated them to them in a clear way, right? The kingdom of God is like a farmer. The kingdom of God is like a shepherd. He communicated in a simple way. But he did not lower his call at all. Unless you give all you have, you cannot be my disciple, right? Count the cost. If you don't count the cost before joining me, you're going to be like a guy who tried to build a tower and didn't count the cost and couldn't finish it, and everyone thought he was a fool. You know, If you're not willing to give up a place to lay your head, you can't follow me. If you care more about collecting, burying your father and collecting the inheritance, you can't follow me, Right? We need to communicate very clearly that there is a high cost to being a Christian, that God is holy, that this is not just a a piece of entertainment. This is not just a piece of making you feel better. We are coming to worship a holy God, and we ourselves need to be changed. If we want to be Christians, we need to be willing to let him be our Lord and change us. I'm convinced of this, that church is not primarily about evangelism. Evangelism is very important. We need to be doing it. We need to be doing it outside these doors. But as I've just thought about it, I'm just convinced Sunday morning's purpose is not primarily to evangelize. We need a time when the body can gather together to worship God. Without worrying about what people on the outside think, what newcomers think, without worrying so much about all that stuff. You know, we need to come together to worship him whether or not others are, right? And when everything becomes about evangelism, I worry that we ourselves neglect, you know, neglect the worship of God. Not that, not that certain Sundays cannot be evangelistic in nature, not that we can't give gospel presentations, things like that, but it just can't be the primary goal of Sunday mornings. Yeah, interpersonal care. Interpersonal care is also not the primary goal of Sunday mornings. We are here to worship Him. First of all, caring for one another comes flows out from our connection to God, right? That comes afterwards. <sighs> Wanna talk about Wanna drill in a little more. I think there are ways in which evangelism specifically. So it's a very good thing, can become a goal that overtakes and overshadows our desire to worship God and it can detract from it. Um, just talking about, thinking about some of my experiences in high school, um, going to various um, high school Christian camps, high school leadership camps, those were amazing. I benefited tremendously from them, but I just remember there being a huge emphasis on evangelism. And the attitude was really one of that, you know, the difference between a real Christian and a fake Christian, one that is really following God and one that's not, is evangelism. So all these kids, if we can get them to evangelize, that means they're going to be true Christians and they're going to stick around. And that just that just didn't work out. Many of those I went to those summer camps with are no longer following Christ, you know? I felt, you know, that we were taught to go out and go door to door, go to parks, talk to the book. Like About Christ, I felt many times like a a salesman selling a product that I'd never tried. You know, I felt like I was trying to be excited about a God that I didn't understand very well why I should be excited about Him. I didn't really know how to worship Him myself. And so it was very difficult to try and convince others to do the same. You know, I, I think. I was remembering one of, the, one of the starkest times I saw this fly out was when we were on a, a college um, college summer trip. We were working with another group, another college group, to try and um, evangelize the campus, and I think it was Navigators. They were telling us about the Great Commission landing. So here's how Great Commission landing works. You're supposed to go out on campus, talk to people about Jesus, tell them the gospel, try and convince them to become a Christian. And the moment they became a Christian, you were supposed to take them with you to go talk to and evangelize to other people and convince other people to become Christians, right? And I just thought, really, is that the first thing we need to be communicating to someone that's just become a Christian? I I thought of this image of like a circus tent. Imagine a circus tent There's people in front of it standing and shouting, look, come see this amazing thing that's inside. Come see, come see, come see. It's so amazing. It'll change your life. You won't believe it. You know, and you're a spectator and you come on. Okay, what's this? What's this amazing thing? Come see, come see. Come in, come in, come in. All right, fine. I'll come in, I'll come in. Where's this amazing thing? Okay, great, you're in. Now go out, go out and go ahead and convince others. Convince others, get them to come in. What amazing thing? Where's the amazing? Go out, go, go, go. You know, it felt like that sometimes. Where is the amazing thing? Where is this God that's supposed to change my life? How do I see him more clearly? And before I've even seen that, I'm, I'm sent out, you know, to go get others to come in. True evangelism flows from true worship, not the other way around. Those who are truly worshipers of God, they have evangelism flowing out of them, not the other way around. Just an aside here, I think, I think our, our expression of Christianity can sometimes also have too narrow of an understanding of what evangelism is. Think so of C.S. Lewis, you know. Think of everything C.S. Lewis has done to bring the gospel, to make disciples of the nations. He really has, just by writing books. Imagine if someone had come to him and been like, C.S. Lewis, what are you doing writing kids' books? Stop. Go. Come on, door to door. We got to knock on people's doors and convince them to become Christians. St. Louis, get up off your desk. Go go to be a missionary in Indonesia, you know? There, there's more than one way to bring the kingdom, right? And we need to do it in, in our various ways, which we've been equipped and called. I think we need to remember that. All right. How do we worship God? Worship needs to be the primary goal above all else. How do we worship God when we gather together on Sundays? Malachi 1, a son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is your priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying the Lord's temple is defiled, and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, and diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Curses the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock, and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord, for I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty and my name is to be feared among the nations. Wow. Those are strong words from the prophet Malachi to worshipers that were not giving their first and their best. Remember Brandon talking about Cain and Abel, how Abel brought the first and the best as an offering to the Lord, and Cain didn't. Are we bringing the first and the best to God? in worship on Sundays. Because the way we worship communicates something about God. It communicates something about how great He is and how worthy of worship He is to ourselves, to each other, and to the outside world. Man, I just, I just think of that phrase, try offering them to your governor, right? These worshippers are bringing diseased animals to God. Oh, here, have this. Try offering that animal to your governor as a gift. Would he be pleased? I think of that for us. Like, imagine it were our job on Sunday that, that the governor were coming or the ambassador of some foreign nation were coming, and our job were to pay this person honor to hold a celebration, to honor this person, what would we do? How would we do it? How would we dress, you know? How would we decorate? How would we, if we were to perform songs for them, who would we have perform? How would we perform them? Wouldn't everything be different? The goal of worshiping God needs to be the center and it needs to shape everything else we do here. He really does. We're communicating something. How valuable is God? How worthy of worship is he? Someone might say, "Well, what about come as you are?" What about, you know, as someone said, "What about legalism?" You know, we can fall into legalism. Yeah, that's true. God is our Father, and He doesn't, we don't have to worship Him like the Jews did in order to be right with Him, in order to be saved. We are already right with Him. But because of that, we now can worship Him in the fullest way possible, right? God makes us children so that we can worship Him more fully, not so that we can treat Him lightly. I was thinking of uh, just an analogy there. You know, God says, "I am a great king." Can you imagine if you were the son of the emperor, and the emperor is having a feast in the honor of his name, right? And dignitaries have come from foreign lands. They bring him gold and incense, and the kings of these nations are just prostrated at his feet. And there's minstrels singing to him. But you're the king's son, so you wake up late and you roll out of bed and you come out in your pajamas. Hey, Dad, how's it going? oh yeah, the festival's today, forgot about that, you know, in front of all these dignitaries, right? What does that say about how much honor you have for your father, how much respect you have for him? What does that communicate, right? We are his children, and that's an amazing privilege, but we shouldn't just trample over that and abuse it. We should use that to show him more honor and to worship him in a deeper way. We proclaim something to the world about who God is. And what we do here says something. And we can we have the opportunity to communicate to the world that the best thing, the best thing in life is not pleasure, it's not getting what you want, it's not sex or drugs or power or any of the other things the world believes. The best thing in the world is to worship God, to see him for who he is, and to be transformed and made like him as we see who he is, right? That's the best thing in the world. And we get to communicate that. But the way we communicate that is by example. By coming here and demonstrating that we really believe that he's the best thing in the world and that he deserves all that worship and that he is high and great and glorious and holy. That's what the world needs to see about God and hear about him. Not that, oh, look, God accepts you. That comes later. Once you understand that God is holy and great and how can God accept me, that's the next question. But first, people need to understand God is great and holy and above us and beyond anything. We need to know that first, and the world does not know that. Our world is very pagan right now and getting worse. They do not understand that about God. We need to be communicating that to the world first. I think temple worship can really be a model for us, an example. God instituted a system of worship. He was communicating something to us about how he wants to be worshiped in the temple. We can open our Bibles and read the Old Testament and understand what kinds of things God wants. Not that it's exactly the same now, but I think there are important principles we can learn. You know, I think of the temple. Who is the focus on? The focus was on God. It was not on the audience, right? The focus was on the worship of God. To whom was the music directed? Think about that. Remember that? The musicians that would play before the Ark of the Lord? What? Where were they facing? They weren't facing the people. They were praising God. There were people who would praise God and sing before him at night when no one was there. There were people ministering before the Lord at night, You know, would we do that? Would the band come here? Can you imagine band? You know, This is a question for me because I'm a member of the band. Would I come here at night, nobody here, and play for the Lord? And if that seems weird to do, maybe my heart isn't right when I do it on Sunday, right? If I'm not willing to play for an audience of one, maybe I shouldn't be playing for an audience of a hundred. Worship was communal. And participatory. The people were participants in worship. They were not the audience. They were to bring an animal, a sacrifice. Are we coming here bringing a sacrifice of praise? I love the worship we have here, by the way. It's very participatory. I think there are other ways we can incorporate that too. Evangelism was not the primary focus of temple worship. It was not. Does that mean that God didn't care about the outsiders, the Gentiles? He did. He did care a lot. But how was he going to reach them? He said, if you worship me, Jews, if you worship me in the right way, if you obey my law, you will be a light to the world. They will see how different you are and come to you. That's how they were to reach the world. First and foremost, by worshiping God, right? You might say, well, that's the temple. We don't have to do all that anymore. That's just legalism. That doesn't apply to us. Not perfectly, but it does apply to us in certain ways. First Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. This is talking about the church, by the way. Read the context. It, we, together, are the temple. This is where God dwells. This and this time, Sunday morning, I think is so significant because this is the one time each week where we are together gathered. We are uniquely the temple together, and that uniquely happens today on Sundays. This day is sacred. I really think it is. This matters. We do here. Ezekiel's temple. Ezekiel spends 10 chapters at the end, right, talking about this amazing, incredible, phenomenal temple, right? There's debate about what that means. Is that a a symbol or a metaphor for the church? Is it more than that? Will it actually be built one day? Maybe it will actually be built and we'll worship there in God's heavenly kingdom? I don't know. But either way, there's a connection between the temple, the temple worship, and the church. I encourage you to go read it. Read that Read Ezekiel those chapters in Ezekiel and see whether that kind of worship seems appealing to you. If it doesn't, maybe our idea of worship is wrong. Filling in some some more practicals for us, the physical dimension of worship matters. I think we as a, just kind of evangelicals, non-denominationals, this is one of our weaknesses, That we neglect, we're naive about how the physical aspects of worship matter. Temple worship was physical. God made a physical temple, physical ark, physical altar. You were supposed to bring him physical sacrifices. He had detailed, look at all, look at how physical the temple worship was. Detailed instructions about how it was to be built, what people were to wear, what kind of sacrifices you were to bring. People trying to offer sacrifices away from the temple, that was not good. He said, you must come to this physical location, the temple, to worship, right? The physical matters to God. I really think it does. He likes the physical, or he wouldn't have made the physical world. Bowing and kneeling. Other more traditional, I know, I know this can become legalistic. I understand that. But man, if you've ever, if any of you have ever knelt or bowed in prayer, something about the physical act of bowing moves your heart to deeper worship, doesn't it? I really think it does. We're so afraid. I think we're so afraid of legalism, right? We're so afraid of hypocrisy. We don't want to make people, I don't want you to bow outwardly if you're not bowing inwardly. But what's the solution to that? Never bow at all? No, the solution is we want the outward and the inward to match. We want you to bow both your heart and your body, right? Not let's get rid of the physical altogether. I think there's tremendous value in physical expressions of worship. The sacraments. um, Baptism and communion have traditionally been called the sacraments. It means sacred. There's something holy, right? These are physical things, physical practices, that Christ instituted, right? Why are they they holy? Well, if for no other reason, simply because Christ commanded us to obey them, right? I mean, that's holy enough for me. These are physical. You are physically to get, believe and be baptized, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Entrance into the church was marked by a physical act of worship. Communion is a physical act. God commanded us to observe it take and eat. This is my body. Drink. This is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. A physical act of worship connected by the way to the sacrificial system, right? That was the night of Passover. He's saying, I'm the Passover lamb. Here it is. You're eating and drinking of me. I'm that lamb. The altar. So churches traditionally have had the altar at the center, right? The communion table with communion there. You've heard the expression altar call. Why is it an altar call? Because the altar was up at the center. The pulpit was off to the side. The musicians, the worshipers, they were off to the other side. The altar is at the center. Why? Because the center of what we do is not me, not the preacher, not the intellectual information that I give to you. That's not the center of worship. The center of worship is Christ and his body broken for us and his blood spilled out for us on the cross. That's the center of worship. Imagine if we did worship where those, the elements, the bread and the cup were right there in front of us, reminding us of that continually. I think that would be amazing. Amazing. I think of heavenly worship in Revelation. What does worship look like in Revelation? There's bowing. There are white robes. vestments, one might say. Incense. There's an altar, right? Not that we have to do all those things, of course. But if those things, the idea of those things, makes us uncomfortable, if the physical dimensions of worship make us uncomfortable and make it feel like it's legalistic, Maybe our heart isn't right. Maybe we're not understanding what God is communicating about true worship. Some just practical suggestions here. Um, As we close up. I went a little fast. All right. How we dress. This is just one of my convictions. Um, I started to realize that the way I dress coming to Sunday has not been honoring to God. I would not show up like this if I were here paying honor to some human. I would not show up, you know, dressed in basketball shorts and a t-shirt to show up if the governor were here and I were here to pay her honor, right? I would not do that. So I don't say this to be legalistic. I do not say this to demand anything of anyone. You know, you worship God in the way that your conscience dictates. But I've just been convicted. I want to dress a little bit better. I want to show honor in the way that I dress to come here. And worship him, I want to communicate to myself and to others that God is holy and worthy of honor. I think we can highlight God's holiness through art decorations. I just think of some of those, you know, those amazing cathedrals in church. Imagine if the thing in front of me as I worship were just an image of Christ on the cross. What an amazing reminder that would be, right? Or just the pictures of the angels and the saints, you know, reminding us that we are entering heavenly worship, that God is worshiped by cherubim and seraphim, right? That he is high and holy. You know, we obviously can't afford a million-dollar cathedral, right? But there are ways in which we can make an effort to use art and decorations, you know, maybe to highlight worship, highlight God's holiness. Some suggestions for consideration. Um, yeah, consider maybe one day putting the communion table front and center. That would be amazing. Put the altar at the front. The center is Christ, the pulpit off to the side. I'm not the center. You know, intellectual information is not the center. Christ is the center. Consider kneeling on certain occasions. I know, I know, this is a trigger. I know a lot of you grew up in very strict, traditional churches where this was abused and you were forced to do this against your will. But I mean, guys, can you imagine? Can you imagine if Christ came next week and Christ is going to sit on a throne there to receive worship and adoration from us? Who of you would hesitate to kneel? Who of you would hesitate to bow before him? No one, not one of you, right? I think it would be great if on certain occasions we kneel. I've been at a church where... um, You know, you come forward and kneel to receive communion. I thought that was amazing. Just giving honor and reverence to God, acknowledging the holiness of communion as we take it. I think there are ways we can make worship more participatory. Make it clear that you're not just the audience receiving, you are bringing your worship. You know, communal prayers that we recite together, communal confession, right, Communal worship, which we do already, it's amazing. Finally, uh, don't reinvent the wheel. I think we, again, as as the evangelical, in the evangelical world, we can sometimes reinvent the wheel. We don't have to. We can look to the past. There have been Christians that have come before us that have thought very hard about how to honor God in Sunday worship. We can look to them and ask, how did they do it? How did they worship God and highlight his holiness? close here, I just want just to call all of us think about who God is, who it is we're worshiping, what it would mean to worship Him to the utmost of our ability to show and demonstrate how amazing He is and how worthy of honor He is and how we can demonstrate that to ourselves and to others on Sunday mornings as we come here. All of these are suggestions. Please don't take them legalistically. These are not law for you. But I just want our hearts to be one of worship and adoration of God. Up next, Brandon is going to come up and lead us in communion. I think this is an incredible act of worship. Just want to remind us of what communion is. Remember, Christ instituted it on the night of Passover. Imagine what the Passover was like, right, with your bags packed, your cloak on, eating this sacrifice as the wrath of God passes over, as we're waiting to go to the promised land, to paradise. That's where we're at right now. We are preparing for this, we are eating this somber celebration of Christ's sacrifice, waiting the paradise that's coming. So, with that, Brandon can come up and lead us in the next section.